I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Welcome to another episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Today we've got a great guest on. We've got Jason Price with The Experience. And if you've not looked at Jason's Facebook page, and we'll certainly have links to that in the show, he's just got some amazing hunts that he's been on. Uh, Jason's got a TV show, and uh, we're going to learn all about that and how we can uh, see some of the adventures he's been on. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. It's great to be on the show. Man, it's great to have you here. I'm, like I said, I've been going over and looking at the, the promos for the experience, and uh, those YouTube videos, they're short, but wow, are they good. Yeah, I really appreciate that. It's uh, it's always great when you get some feedback from guys of you know how they like the the promos. And I mean these are short little clips, and we try to keep them short to keep uh, everyone engaged. And uh, it's been really fun. It's been a long time coming. Uh, I think the promo we released uh, a week ago or a week and a half ago for season one's probably been two or two and a half years in the making. So uh, it's been a big relief. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, that's a culmination of a lot of hard work. Oh, I imagine I. There's one, it's uh, the promo for New Zealand, where you're in New Zealand. And watching that on the big screen TV, it was crystal clear. And I'm like, this is going to be some great footage. Yeah, and it's, it's funny that you mentioned New Zealand. New Zealand is, is unbelievably beautiful. I mean, when people think of New Zealand, even outside of our hunting community, that's the first thing they think of. It. I would love to go see New Zealand. It's just, I hear it's a beautiful country. And, you know, it is. It's, it's better than you can actually imagine. But What's most unique about New Zealand is the hunting opportunities. It's really uh, diverse in the animals. Uh, you have the chamois, the tar, and obviously the red stag, and, and those are the three main ones. But what's so cool about that, it's really three different hunts uh, for, for each of those animals. The, I tell people all the time, you hunt the stags for the pure majestic aspect of the animal. I mean, it's just so cool. Those big antlers, you know, walking through the thick scrub there in New Zealand, and just the crowns on the top, you know, it's kind of, you know, similar to elk hunts, but it's more compact in, in the, the antler growth. And then um, you hunt the tar for the pure physicality of it. I hunted my tars on foot, a uh, very physical hunt. It's like, you know, our mountain goat hunt here in the U.S., uh, very, very rewarding. But you hunt the chamois for the most part. You can do it on foot, uh, but you hunt the chamois for the most part with the use of a helicopter. And it is absolutely adrenaline-packed. I, I can't uh, – it's hard to describe that hunt uh, to a lot of people that haven't done it. And uh, we took a group uh, first of this year over, and I think probably 75% of them did the chamois. And just their facial expressions and the rush and the feeling they had on that hunt was uh, indescribable. And it's great that we got a lot of that on film. Well, it's it's incredible the the ability to take the helicopters up there, uh, the, the as you said the physicality of it, the the walking, the just up and down, incredible. Right, it is, and I mean even even on the helicopter on the chamois, it's it's pretty dicey. I mean, there's some uh, sketchy places they drop you off, and then you have to kind of move in different positions to to either find reacquire the chamois or you know you got to move to to uh, get a better perspective or a better shot. And, uh, and a lot of those places are really dangerous. So uh, it's so cool to, to be able to do a type of a hunt like that with all those little different nuances to the hunt in one location. Oh, I bet. Now, that was, when did you do New Zealand? How long ago were you there? Well, I've done New Zealand uh, the last, once a year for the last three years. And I'm, I'm just, I'm hooked on New Zealand. I absolutely love it. But I've uh, got some really good friends down there, Duncan Frazier with Cadrona Safaris. That's who I've been with every single time, and uh, we go at different times. the The roar is they, you know, is their rut is down there in March for the stags, and that's really kind of the prime time to go for everyone. But I like to go at the end of the season when the guides are kind of just winding down and everyone's relaxing and hanging out and having fun. The chamois and the tar, the coats are just un unbelievably thick because you know that's their winter there, and uh, it's really my favorite time of the year to go. Oh wow! So now. When you were there, that's uh, have you hunted Australia as well? No, and it's crazy that I'm that close to Australia and never got to go. I would love to do the water buffalo down there. That's one of the, uh, it's one of the hunts that I would definitely put at the top. And it's just timing issue down there. You go, it's such a long flight, and you spend five to seven days there in New Zealand and with small kids at home. 
a lot of times I have to, you know, pick my moments where I can spend my time away from home. And, oh, sure. And, and that's, that's probably the most important thing to me as far as the time away from my kids. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to take that for granted ever. So it's just hard logistically to, to do New Zealand and then go down there to Australia for me. Now, a lot of hunters do it, and I would love to have the opportunity. It just hadn't presented itself yet. So when you get down there, I thought I had heard, and maybe you've heard or hunted, that at one point domestic cattle were released and they've reverted back to wild in some areas? Yeah, so in New Zealand, it's, it's cool. It's a conservation success story. Uh, I believe the red stag were brought over in the late 1800s. Uh, there's just nothing there for the settlers to eat other than fish. Uh, red stag were brought over. Chamois and tar were introduced, I believe, in the 40s. And I'm, I'm just, I, I don't have this in front of me, so I'm guessing a little bit of when those were coming over or when they came over. And just the way they managed the game over there, I mean, predominantly stagger and high fences. And um, they've just managed them well. They've created a market for them. And they flourish. There's a lot of free-range stag now in New Zealand. There is a uh, a lot of free-range chamois and tar. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, because none of them are natives, so it's no. It's always been interesting to watch people that that head over there, and and there's a lot of those opportunities here in Texas as well. But it's just not the same as as going to a, a destination where they're at. That's correct. I mean, New Zealand is definitely a destination. Now, are you from Texas? Yes, I am. So you born and grew up here, so obviously in a heavy hunting area. Yes, sir. Was was the whole family into hunting? No, that's uh, that's actually pretty unique about me and hunting is no one in my immediate family are hunters. I had one uncle that was a hunter, and uh, he kind of took me under the wing at an early age. And, you know, the experiences I had with him, it's amazing that I'm even a hunter today because he was an off-the-grid type of guy. <laughs> he taught me to appreciate the, the land and to take care of it. I can remember at the age of eight, I believe, he taught me to braid ropes. And, um, you know, that's paid off dividends having girls now. I could braid their hair. <laughs> they don't really like the part when I get to the end and I try to drip wax on it. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, it's, it, they helped me with that. And he took me to the mountains when I was eight or nine, and we would just camp out on the mountains. He would have me bury my food in certain locations where I could go back and find it. Um, I can remember one thing where I came off the mountain and I'd forgotten my canteen somewhere up on the mountain. I mean, I'm eight or nine years old. And he looked at me and he's like, we don't, you know, we don't leave anything on the mountain and we don't, we make sure we take care of everything we have. You need to go back and get it. And until about two or three years ago, I never knew he followed me back up the mountain because he made me go back up there, find my canteen and come back down by myself. So I thought, but he instilled, you know, a, a deep passion for not only hunting but for the outdoors and uh, i'm super appreciative for him doing it because really i'm I'm where i am today because of that and i don't mean just hunting related that's an invaluable lesson a life lesson to get that instilled in you and it's not something you can learn without uh, a mentor it's not something you can readily just pick a book up i mean you could but the way you got it is just amazing Oh yeah, and it's it's so cool, and I still I'm very close to him today, and he is absolutely amazed and in awe of the things and the places I've got the things I've gotten to hunt and the places I've gotten to go, and uh, it's cool with him sharing the photos of me with his friends at work, and I'm sure he takes a lot of pride in the fact that he instilled that tradition in me. Oh yeah, I, I can only imagine he's, you know, what you've taken a kid that might have grew up just hunting deer and hogs has has taken it to a whole new level. Yeah, I've been very fortunate, lucky, blessed, everything you can imagine. So let's talk a little bit about the experience. This has been a, 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 a an incubation stage, a, a project, a baby that you're giving birth to, so to speak. Right. So when I started going to Africa in 2009, hunting the Big Five, actually we need to go back even further. I, I started out whitetail hunting like most people did in Texas with a, a bunch of friends and and we had this deal that we called Brown Down Productions. We just did a lot of videoing and filming deer. It never went anywhere, and we just did it for fun. And, uh, you know, looking back, I wish I would have kept doing that and honed my skills because, you know, I've gotten to go on some amazing hunts that, you know, I didn't capture on film. And in 2009, I started going to Africa, and, you know, my hunting career just exploded at that point because I, 
I got to see what else there was in the world and, and all these opportunities out there and, and the diversity of animals that we have all around the world and different experiences. And I knew, you know, I, I wanted to do something in the hunting industry because, you know, my, my dad's always told me if you, you know, if you find something to do that you're passionate about, you're always going to have a good time doing it. And um, so I knew hunting was where I, I was passionate and I wanted to do something in that industry. So I, I missed a lot of hunts by not filming them, and at just some point I clicked and I was like, "Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to film them, and you know, we'll see if people enjoy them." And it started out just small, and it's it's funny how you look back on it and just the little turns and progressions that that it took. Um, I can remember a hunt that I went on in Alaska for a doll sheep with Bob Summers, Deltana Outfitters, and I had told Bob what I was doing, and at that point I think I was probably a year into this project. And, and Bob was gracious enough to allow me to bring a camera guy. And, you know, Bob and I had only talked over the phone a few times. I met him at Dallas Safari Club and uh, kind of settled our deal for the hunt. So very little interaction with him other than the one face-to-face and a few phone calls. So I get up there, and I was lucky enough to get to hunt with Bob. I fly in, and I see the sheep on the side of the mountain, and I'm thinking this is going to be a slam dunk. Hmm. And Alaska has a rule about you know, flying and hunting on the same day. So we had to wait until the next day to go hunting, and we woke up to complete wide-out conditions. We were snowed in for two and a half days. I mean, we literally could not see 10 feet in front of us. Um, so on the third day, we get to go on the hunt, and uh, we go to the spot where we had last seen the sheep, and there's no sheep. They had been completely displaced with the weather. 77 miles and eight days later, we finally find the sheep and uh, I was lucky enough to make um, in my book a really lucky shot about 450 yards and uh, we had to actually use the fog to cut the distance from 900 to 450 but you know there was a lot of ups and downs on that hunt there was a lot of you know twists and turns and Bob and I got to be really really good friends on this hunt and just kind of a side note it seems like the more mental or physical a hunt is Whoever you, you're with, you, you get this bond that you just couldn't get anywhere else. And uh, I would say I got that, you know, tenfold on this hunt. So it was probably about a week later. And, you know, all the time during the hunt, I'm, I'm talking to Bob. Like, I don't know what to call the show. I don't really know the direction for the show. It seems like I'm falling into this, you know, mountain hunting extreme niche. And I just, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've, I, I just made a deal with myself that, I'm not going to close any doors, and I'm going to walk through every open door. So about about a week after the hunt, Bob calls, and he says, uh, hey, uh, I've been thinking, and I, I know what you need to call the show. And I was like, man, I'm all ears. He said, you need to call it the experience. And I was like, done. That's what it is. And he said, because the experience I just had on that hunt was unbelievable. And every time I tell someone about it, I keep using the word the experience. And um, from there, it's just, exploded and it's such a it's such a great title for for the show for what we're trying to do i mean we're trying to produce you know just a really clean great uh film from a cinematography standpoint and just hoping that it'll appeal to a larger audience than just hunters you know since we've released that promo i've had a lot of women that you know their husbands hunt and they don't hunt and you know their comment hey we love that promo we love some of the sites that you had in New Zealand, and, and we would like to go with our husbands to New Zealander. You know, so that's cool. And I think the the focus has been on that as a whole, as the experience, as opposed to just the kill shot. And, you know, the unique thing is, I think in that promo of season one, I'm pretty sure you didn't see one kill shot. No. So, and, and we're not doing that. We're not doing that to hold out on people. We're doing that because we want to make sure that we capture and and show people the full experience of hunting and maybe along the line, get some people that aren't hunters, you know, interested in our sport. Yeah, the the idea that I'm going to sit down and watch an episode where I see you going into New Zealand, you know, experiencing the people of New Zealand, the hunt, really, as, as any hunter will know, the actual kill is such a small part of the overall, as you say, the experience, that it's everything wrapped up together that just makes it such a great time. It is, and I've been on I've been on a lot of hunts that I didn't get the animal that were incredible experiences. I was on a hunt with Chris Geikum at Compass West Outfitters in New Mexico. Uh, very very physical hunt. We had some weather issues that just didn't allow us to get it, but we poured our 
blood, sweat, and tears into that hunt, and probably one of the most physical hunts I've ever done. And, you know, I was bummed out about not getting the animal, but I've probably talked about that hunt over the last 10 years more than I have any other hunt because of you know, how hard it was and, and what a great experience it was. And, and I didn't even get the animal. Mm-hmm. I can certainly understand that. Uh, same type of experience with a black bear hunt. And uh, all it does is whet your desire to go back and get it again. Yeah, and it is. I mean, it lit a fire in me and not just for elk, but that particular hunt uh, lit a fire in me for hunting that, uh, you know, it was definitely a defining moment just because of the challenge of it. it. It made me want to do the mountain hunts. It made me want to pursue sheep and goats and, and elk. And uh, a lot of people don't understand or, you know, they take for granted the elk, but it's it's a very physical hunt. And it doesn't oftentimes get put in the same category as a sheep or a goat, but I've been on some absolutely hammered elk hunts that left my feet looking like hamburger meat. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's great. And I, that lit the fire in me to go pursue those other challenges, whether it's, you know, climbing a mountain or the greatest mental challenge I've ever been a part of, leopard hunting in South Africa or Zimbabwe. It is. Now, let's jump uh, across the ocean to Africa uh, <laughs> for a little bit. Where where all in Africa have you hunted? Uh, I've been mainly or primarily in South Africa and Zimbabwe. Um, I've hunted the Limpopo in South Africa. I've hunted the Kalahari just south of Botswana in South Africa. I've also hunted in uh, Kruger National Park outside Palabora. And then uh, West Nicholson is in Zimbabwe just across Bayet Bridge uh, in a couple hours. Probably, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a dangerous game hunter or a physical hunter. I like the challenge of the hunts. I've done very little plains game hunting, but uh, I would say leopard hunting is my all-time favorite thing to do in Africa and probably right at the top of the list internationally. Yeah, that's, uh, now you mentioned West Nicholson in, in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you in the uh, Bubiana? Yeah, and I was hunting leopard there. Uh, they're, they're just really big leopard. I was I was successful after day five on a leopard, which is completely unique for me and out of the norm. Uh, my other two leopards took, the first one took 15 days, and the second one took 18 days. So the third one I got on five days, and I was like, Wow, it's not supposed to be like this. Yeah, now who were you with on that hunt? What outfitter? Uh, I was with Taba Moyo. Uh, the owner of that is Fonny Stein. And again, you know, every one of these places. And I think the trophy that I take away from hunting more than anything, more than, you know, the leopards and the doll sheep or the desert sheep or the ibex, the greatest trophy on all of these hunts are the friendships that I gain mm-hmm. at, at these different places. Uh, these are lifelong friends. We all share the same passion. And, and I'm not only friends with these people on a hunting level. I mean, I'm personal friends with these people outside of hunting. I know their families. They know my families. And I would say that's the greatest trophy or, or treasure, you know, you'd say, that, that I acquire on any of these hunts. Yeah, that, now I, w- I myself personally was just outside of West Nicholson as well. Did a Plains game hunt there. Yeah. We stopped the car or the truck a lot to look at leopard tracks. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, I hung on Impala in the tree. Uh, we were baiting for bush pigs, and they let me put a game camera up. I took a game camera over, and yeah. we got a bunch of leopard pictures. That is so cool. They are all over the place in that area. Yeah, I do love the rawness of uh, that area in Zimbabwe. I think uh, that's probably one of my first eye-opening experiences of the benefit of hunting on a local level from the standpoint of being able to feed these people with Mm -hmm. some of the trophies that you take. I saw a lot of poaching, uh, multiple giraffes that had been shot with AK-47s and probably died miserably. And to be able to go in and hunt some of those planes game and take it to the villages uh, and to see their faces, you're giving them the meat. It was really cool to get to see it on the front line, so to speak. And, and you know, it really shows you what places or organizations like Dallas Safari Club, SCI, and Wild Sheep Foundation preach and stand for. And, you know, I got to see it firsthand. Yeah, that's a very interesting area. The people were the people were absolutely amazing. Uh, as you said, the takeaway, I spent a few days with the Outfitters family before I went hunting. And... The, as you say, the experience was life-changing, and, and once Africa gets in your blood, it's all you want to do is go back. That's right. Your, your first trip is never also your last trip. Right. So now I saw a picture on your website that really, uh, really got to me was that Cape Buffalo. Yeah, that's, uh, that's an adrenaline-filled hunt as well. The Cape Buffalo and Elephant are, 
are two somewhat similar hunts. Uh, the Cape Buffalo, I'd gotten into, I was hunting just outside of Kruger, which is cool there, another conservation story. The landowners surrounding Kruger took down their interior fences. And now that those, those people can hunt based off of a park quota, which is, is really cool because, as you know, that park is the largest park in the world. Right. And uh, the diversity of animals there is unbelievable. I think last I heard there was 17,000 elephants in that park, and it could only support 7,000. So you could just see the devastation of, of what they were doing and to, to the land. And it was actually hurting, I think, the wildebeest population just because, you know, there wasn't really enough uh, foliage or, or nutrition for them to survive uh, on the, the numbers that they needed to. But on the Cape Buffalo hunt, I can remember just getting into those herds and just being all around me, and it's so thick, and I could hear them, but I just couldn't see them well enough to get a shot. And then on day three, I was able to, to shoot one at about 15 yards with uh with a Heim double rifle 450 400 and uh just it was just an unbelievable experience to be that close to a big dug a boy like that and uh have the opportunity to do that something you know in in Africa the black death or you know as Robert Rourke says it looks at you like you owe it money and I was close enough to be able to actually think about pulling out money out of my pocket to give it to it yeah so you used a double rifle on that one yeah, and I did, and it was kind of uh, it was cool. You know, open sights. I mean, I'm, I'm, I call myself a sheep hunter or a mountain goat hunter, and I need that scope because I'm not good enough hunter to get that close to them. But uh, I think that you know, just uh, you know, the old school open sight style of hunting for for those animals, you know, really was cool, and and I and I love doing it. Oh, that, that that's well, that's the classic safari. Yeah, and, it, and I was lucky enough to be able to take an elephant on that trip as well. And uh, that's probably the most intimidating hunt I've ever done. Uh, you know, you've been, you get scared or nervous on, at times, but that one was super intimidating. I can remember we'd kind of gotten in the wrong herd. We were following this really big bull, and we'd gotten in the wrong herd of, um, you know, a cow. And she was facing away from us, like quartering away. And, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. I could still see the ears flapping, sitting there in the bush. And it's about this time we realized we're in the wrong herd. And this elephant turns, and it's probably 40 yards away from me. And it turns to face me. And it really didn't move any closer, but just that turn made me feel like it cut the distance in half. And, you know, at that point I'm thinking, whoa, this is, you know, this is bad. <laughs> This is not a good position to be in. So we were able to back out, and then I think the next day we were able to close the distance on the other elephant. I shot it at 22 paces. Wow. That's close. Yeah. Yeah, it is a little too close for comfort, but I mean, at the same time, you want to make sure that you get in close and tight to make an ethical shot on those things. Uh, you're typically shooting them with open sights, so trying to, because you want to be quick uh, on that first and that second shot. Uh, a lot of people will go for the brain shot or, you know, traditional behind the shoulder. Um, so, yeah, it was it was quick. It was close. It was uh, it was an incredible experience. What outfitter were you with at that time? Same. Fani Stan with Taba Moyo. Okay. I've, I've hunted with him pretty much, uh, in, you know, solely there in Africa. Again, if I find someone that I'm comfortable with, that I'm good friends, and I've, you know, I build that friendship and that relationship with, you know, I'm going to go back as many times as they'll let me. Well, and if you're okay, we'll have links to their website in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. They would appreciate that. And, uh, you know, that's always great. A good outfitter and a, a good reputation is, is invaluable. Without a doubt. Now, speaking of friendships, do I hear right? Did you add an, another uh, hunter to your show? We did, and we just announced that a few days ago. I'm super excited about adding Dan Catlin to the experience. Uh, I mean, a lot of your viewers are uh, familiar with Dan now because he was on your show a couple weeks ago. And uh, I've known Dan and, and been affiliated with the Wildlife Gallery for the last nine years. And those guys do, uh, eight years, sorry, those guys do phenomenal work. Uh, their taxidermy quality is unapproachable by just about any. And uh, they've done all my work since I really started hunting internationally. And I wouldn't send it to anyone else. But over the course of, of my business with them, I've gotten to be really good friends with Dan. Uh, you know, we kind of have the same moral compass, and we have the same beliefs and same goals. And it was just a great fit. So, 
you know, we've partnered up with the Wildlife Gallery, and, you know, one of the big advantages we got in that partnership was, uh, or a, a huge asset, was Dan Catlin. Well, that's fantastic. Dan, Dan is an absolute stand-up guy, and uh, you, you couldn't ask for a better partner there. He's, you two should have a phenomenal time. The, the hunts that he's been on, the hunts that, that I'm looking at, you've been on, you know, I'm, I've got a picture up right now of you sitting there with an outfitter and a black bear that you took, a guide. Yeah, that was uh, here recently in Alaska, I believe. That thing is an absolute tank. It is. It is, and that was that was a weird story. I just gotten, I just gotten finished shooting uh, a moose, and we're on our way back to camp, and uh, we get to the tent, and we're all pretty much dehydrated, and I'm down in my drink, and got. And we'd been looking at a few black bears through the the duration of the hunt, and I'd had a grizzly tag, and uh, I was just going to hold out for a grizzly, and we had some unforeseen circumstances that kind of happened on that hunt that that made it to where I needed to come home early. And uh, we had actually seen a black bear that we had named Grizz. It was so big. I mean, this thing was probably almost seven foot square, which is a really big black bear. He was kind of a long ways away, and we get back to the tent, and the guide looks at me, and he's like, man, that's a really big black bear. And we have this kind of conversation that's kind of funny, and it's all caught on film, but it's just this funny conversation about, you know, whether or not we should go after this bear. And we eventually make the decision to go after it, and it, it was fun because the guy just kind of stepped back and, and let me let me go. He just, you know, stayed back with the camera guy, and I got within about 60 yards of this bear. There was a little knoll in front of me, and I was so worried that I was going to hit that knoll before it hit the bear just because of the line of sight of the rifle bear on the scope, you know, before it got to the bear. And I look back at him, and I'm trying to ask those guys if they think I'm going to hit this little knoll. And both of them look at me like, just shoot. I'm not sure they ever even knew what I was talking about. So in the film or even in the promo, you can see me look back, and, and that's why I'm looking back. I'm saying, and I don't know if I can hit this thing. I'm afraid I'm going to hit the ground, and I'm never going to live down missing a 60-yard shot. Oh, you can have fun with you on that one for probably as long yeah. as you ever. You'd have to get a whole new set of camera guys and guides. and Yeah, yeah. you miss on camera, it's a bad deal. And I have missed on camera. Oh yeah, that's that's never fun. Even when you're alone, you start looking around like, did anybody see that? Yeah. Now you mentioned that's the uh, hunt, uh, also where you took that big moose, right? Yeah, it was a phenomenal moose. I hunted that with Wade Renfro, uh, Renfro Alaskan Adventures. Renfro's been in the news a lot lately, but I want to say that it's one of the best outfitters from top to bottom that I've ever been on. And there was some there was some unforeseen circumstances that happened on that particular hunt uh, that I won't go into now, but just the way those guys handled their business in the middle of unbelievable chaos uh, is a testament not only to, to their organization, but to them as people. And just for the listeners, and, and we'll have Jason on maybe another time when it's more appropriate to talk about it. It was unfortunate. Yeah, I would love to do it. And, and whenever hunting happens, there's always an element of risk. And in this particular case, I think it was two gentlemen yes. lost their life in yeah. a plane accident. Yeah, Zach Babbitt and Jeff Burris. And uh, just unfortunate event. And, uh, you know, at some point we can we can maybe talk about it again. But, uh, you know, I don't want to do any injustice to those guys. And uh, I want to make sure that, that when we do discuss it and, and we do finally um, release what we have on that, that it, it's done properly. I think what we'll maybe look at is having you on when that episode is released and we'll do a whole run through of it. Yeah, absolutely. I would love it. But for the listeners, I'm going to have a link out there uh, to the to, to two gentlemen, Zach and um, uh, Jeff. Jeff, yeah. Uh, their GoFundMe pages to help their families. And I would appreciate it if you check those out in the notes because as a hunting community, we have to step up and take care of each other. And yeah, absolutely. You never want to see anybody get hurt. It's an element of risk that we all know is there. Um, and But you want to try to overlook it and never never experience it so jason we'll we'll bypass that just saying that you got an amazing bear and and a a, a moose of a lifetime you you could absolutely hunt another moose because you're not going to find a bigger one no and you know what's even more cool about that hunt and, and wade's operation is i fully expect and think based off of my knowledge of the area now that that's the norm the guy is shooting just absolutely giant moose 
on a consistent basis, and it's just unbelievable. And again, it's a testament to his management practices in the area. He's not overhunting them. He's not overselling them. And, uh, you know, every year the trophy quality is indicative of that. Yeah, you got to let him grow. Yeah, absolutely. And he does. He does a phenomenal job from top to bottom. It's one of the best uh, organizations or outfits that I've been to hunting. Oh, great. Now, uh, as you look, tell me a little bit about when and where are we going to see the experience? So the experience is going to be all YouTube-based for now. Uh, we want to try to appeal to that side of the market. We, we think that's where hunting market is going in the future, and, and I truly believe that it's already on YouTube now. There's some incredible quality films on YouTube. There's some guys doing just unbelievable cinematography and some just cool hunts on there already. I think that's kind of transitioning. The cool thing about YouTube is, like, if you're sitting in the airport and you're going on a hunt somewhere, you just get to pull it up on your phone and watch. You know, you may be going mountain goat hunting, and you can pull up one of the experiences mountain goats, or you may go into Turkey for an Ibex, and you could pull up one of those and watch it while you're, you know, waiting on the airplane or, you know, before you go or in your office in between meetings. It's just we live in an on-demand world, and I think it's just – probably most beneficial to the experience to be in that, that media. Uh, I, and I think that it's coming to where it's going to be on Netflix at some point. And I, and I don't mean the experience, I just mean hunting in general. I think that's the next step for this. Yeah, they just uh, dropped a couple seasons of uh, another show called The Meat Eater. Right, Netflix. right, I read that. When I discovered that, I was like, well, I'll be darned. And I think that's that's the transition. I think that's where it's going. Um, I think sponsors are probably you know, a little unfamiliar with that aspect of it. So we've got a huge push on social media with uh, the experience on Instagram and then obviously the Facebook page that, that you were just looking at. And uh, we're really trying to kind of push all those towards our YouTube channel. And, and, you know, it's not about just me. It's not about just Dallas Haymire or Dan Catlin. Um, we're going to film some other people next year, some people that draw great tags. We're going to send out our film crews and, and try to capture their their experience on film and uh, we want to grow this thing to where you know it's it's not focused on one individual or a certain set of, of individuals but it's focused on the experience oh that's fantastic and now tell tell me a little bit about Dallas how does he fit in the show well Dallas is a young guy and he's an unbelievable videographer he just has the eye a lot of times when you go on these hunts with with camera guys you got there's a couple different variables I mean First of all, you've got some guys that are just, just incredible behind the camera, but they just physically can't keep up on the mountains. And then you have some guys that are just, you know, young, physical guys that could probably carry me in their backpack, but they're not so knowledgeable about the camera. And uh, Dallas is kind of a unicorn because, you know, he can keep up physically. He's a young guy, and uh, he is just incredibly talented behind the camera. He's fun to be around. He's infectious. Uh, he understands social media uh, a little bit, probably more so than Dan and I. And, uh, you know, each of us have our strengths in the market, and all of us together are, you know, a force to be reckoned with. Oh, that's fantastic. I, so when are the first episodes uh, slated to be released? We hope to have the first episode in three weeks. And like I said, we've been doing this for two and a half years now. We've got some incredible footage, you know, just waiting to be released. And uh, we've been having arguments over the last couple of weeks about which one to release first because we have so many good ones. <laughs> oh, I imagine. So did you record a lot of your Africa stuff? We did record some Africa. Um, I've got some of the leopard. We had some lighting issues on, on the leopard. Uh, we've recorded some of the planes game in Africa. But, you know, more than anything, we've done the mountain hunts. I mean, the turkey, ibex hunt. Um, this last, just this year, we've done Turkey, New Zealand, Mexico, Alaska, and Canada. Wow! So just this, just this year alone, and we still have uh, leaving ten days for an Audad hunt in West Texas uh, with Chance Parker, and then uh, and I'm getting to hunt with a good friend Aaron Reese there as well, which uh, you know we've just we really just met at the SCI and then kind of kept in contact through Facebook. So it's going to be great to get out and do some hunting with him. Then we have, yeah. And then we have a little trip to uh, Mexico in December as a scouting trip for my desert bighorn that I'm doing in January. So super excited. Got a lot of stuff coming. That's fantastic. That's a, that's a great group of, of hunts to do. So that'll put you, um, now let me flip gears and go backwards <laughs> a little bit because I yeah. just all flustered looking at these pictures and going, holy smokes. <laughs> 
So you did an Ibex. Was that in Spain? No, that was actually in Turkey. That's the Bazaar Ibex in Turkey. All right. So fantastic. Because I thought I saw one of those Turkish Kangol dogs somewhere pop up too. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the the funny thing about that, and you, you asked about Dan before. Dan and I have had, you, you may have seen it on Instagram, and we even put it on Facebook from time to time. But we have this thing called Chasing Catlin or Chasing Price. And uh, it seems like Dan wants you to believe that, that I'm ahead of him. But I am not. I am definitely Chasing Catlin. And even in the, the whitetail hub of East Texas, I'm probably chasing the Catlins when it comes to whitetail hunting because Dan's wife, Char, is an absolute stud with a bow. And uh, those guys are leaving me behind as we speak because they're up there in Iowa and Missouri hunting whitetails right now. So uh, I am definitely chasing Catlin. It's a, it's a fun competition, but he's going to try to make everyone think that it's the other way around. And the turkey trip was just that. I was just going to Turkey one. I would love, I, you know, I wanted to pursue the Capra Slam. You know, I had to get there because Dan had been there the year before. Well, yeah, <laughs> I got to believe that you are definitely chasing him because... The, the pictures I see him post, I'm like, he's he's not got any room to live in his house. It's got to be all moat. Yeah, yeah. See, you agreeing with with me about that is just further validation that I am chasing. Yeah, I'll I'll give you that. I'll, I'll absolutely yeah, yeah. give you that. That's so, great. How did you find Turkey? Was that did you find that to be a safe environment? Did you have a good time? I did, and just accidentally, I got to see a lot of the culture that I wouldn't otherwise gotten to see because my gun had gotten uh, left in the U.S. and we ended up having to wait in Istanbul a couple days, but. Uh, um, I was with Khan with Shakar Safaris, and he was nice enough to get me a, a tour guide. And Dallas and I got to tour some of the mosque and, and some of the, the tradition and history there in Turkey. And, you know, ironically, people think of Turkey, you know, as a Muslim country right off the bat. But, um, you know, there was a lot of Christianity there a long time ago, and there's still pockets of it now. Um, a lot of the museums and mosques still have reflections of uh, of Christ and, and Mary. And uh, it's really cool. Those people there were unbelievably nice. Uh, and, and just like us, I mean, we have extremists here in the U.S. that we don't necessarily agree with, and, and they have the same there. Uh, I never felt endangered or uncomfortable, uh, and I know it's like two worlds because I'm staying in a really cool hotel there in Istanbul, and then, you know, I, we get my gun, and the next night I'm in some cave on the side of a mountain because we can't go out because it's snowing so hard. Wow. <laughs> so it's a cool place. Uh, the tradition is unbelievable. The, the call to prayer five times a day is is a little eerie, but uh, again, I mean that's that's their tradition, that's that's their religion, and uh, we could actually learn a lot from those guys just by how uh, dedicated they are to their religion. And if we were more dedicated to ours, I think we'd all be better people. Oh, interesting. It's it's always good to hear. Turkey's been one of the countries I've always dreamed of going to, and uh, to hear you say that is is really really neat validation that it's just a safe, good time. I've I've seen nothing yeah. but positive reviews on the outfitter uh, that you yeah. used. So. Uh, and I believe he's got a page or two on Facebook, so there's some neat pictures there, and I'll have links to it. In yeah, the he's got a really extensive website. He does. Uh, he's at Dallas Safari Club and SCI both. Uh, I think Ovis Wild Sheep Foundation. He goes to all of them. Uh, they're a big focal point at the conventions, um, and, and my experience there was fantastic. Great. So we got a show coming out in three-ish weeks or so. Uh, you're having a great time. The, the trophies are amazing. But let me ask you this. Let's switch a little bit. You said you have little girls. Have you got them into hunting? I've got three girls and one boy. And the one boy is chomping at the bit every single day to go hunting. And I promise I'm fighting the urge not to take him to somewhere like Africa. I took uh, my daughter now is 15. I took her to Africa when she was 11. Probably one of the greatest trips I've ever been on. She got to shoot a water buck and a blessed buck and just just all around unbelievable get to spend that time with her and, and to see you know how excited she was not only to go hunting but to to see the culture and, and to meet the people and her interaction with the people I think was a big growing step for her personally sure. and it was definitely great for us to get to bond in, in my environment and, and and her to be a part of it but my son the other two don't have much interest in it uh, my son is absolutely overboard and we're probably going to have to start on squirrels and rabbits just so I can keep him somewhat grounded. How old is he? He is six. Oh, yeah. I took uh, all of my kids out when they were five. Well, oh, wow. I took my youngest, just looked at me and said, Dad, I don't really want to shoot a sheep. Can't we just go to the taxidermist and buy a head to put over my bed? <laughs> well, 
my little boy wants to shoot it, and he wants it in his room. Yeah, the, my oldest, I took her, she was five years old, and I took her up to just a place in the hill country to shoot a ram, and I held the gun. I let, it was a 30-odd six, maybe a 45-yard shot, and I didn't hold the gun tight enough. And she, I let her pull the trigger, and when she pulled, she moved the gun just a hair. Yeah. And uh, so it eventually killed the ram, but it wasn't a quick, clean shot. And uh, she ran over there and picked that thing up by its its horns, and it gave out a little, you know, that last little bit of air that's in their lungs. Uh-huh. It gave out a bleat, and, man, I've never seen a kid jump so high in the air. <laughs> and then she walks up, and I come up with the guy that was driving the truck, and uh, she looks at me, and she goes, all right. She's pumping her hand in the air. She goes, let's go shoot a buffalo. And I'm like, oh, oh wow. Well, you know, yeah, you created a monster. <laughs> we got to settle this down. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. She had that ram head hung above her bed until she was about 13, and then boys came that, in the picture. That's so cool. That's and, so uh, cool. She's like, Dad, you can have this mount back. It <laughs> just doesn't fit into my bedroom decor anymore. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, I just carried my son, Ethan, up to the wildlife gallery with me, with, and uh, we stayed with Dan and Shar this past week. And I just wanted to kind of let him see how that process was. I mean, for a kid, they just don't understand, you know, that that's foam under there, and they're trying to bring that animal back to its natural um, state so that we can enjoy it for years to come. And I think it was an eye-opening experience for him. And the first thing he did when we got on the plane to come home, he's like, when I get home, I'm going to shoot a bird. And, <laughs> and because of my, my upbringing, I did the same thing when, with my uncle that I was telling you about before. Uh, one of the first things I shot was a blue jay, and uh, he made me eat it. Ooh. And... And I just told him, I said, hey, you know, whatever you shoot, you have to eat. And he is so ready. He's like, okay, okay. I was like, hey, buddy, we're not going to shoot the birds. I mean, we can, you know, maybe shoot some dove during dove season. But it's just so cool that seeing the fire in him, you know, I just accidentally instilled it in him. And it's, it's cool to pass that on. It is, you know, as I, now my, my son, he could care less. He went hunting once and that was enough. He's done. None of my kids want it. And I'm okay with that. It is really neat to take somebody. It's just as enjoyable, if not more enjoyable, to watch somebody else take on that whole, as you say, the whole experience and then make the kill. And you know the the, the feelings, the emotions that are going through them. And it's neat to just watch that. And it, to me, that's just as enjoyable as, as hunting myself. Yeah, it is. And I, I would have disagreed with you probably six or seven years ago. Uh, because I enjoy hunting so much, and I just didn't think I could get that kind of feeling or happiness off someone else doing it. That couldn't be further from the truth. I, it's unbelievable the feeling and the rush uh, you get when your kids or a loved one or a really good friend shoots something that they've been after for a long time or for the first time. You know, that experience in itself is uh, is unbelievable. It's all about passing the tradition on. It is. It is. And, and it's more... More than just to your immediate family and your kids, uh, I and mean, we need to to live our lives in, in a in a way that people want to emulate them. We need to um, you know show hunting in a positive manner. We need to unite as hunters. I mean, we've got you know a lot of division within our ranks, and and now with the political climate, and I won't get on a big political rant, but it's it's important for us as hunters to be together. And and I, I mean all hunters. I mean the do-it-yourselfers, the guys that use guides, mm-hmm. uh, the weekend guys, the the high fence guys. Uh, the sheep guys and the goat guys, you know, we're all hunters. We all enjoy hunting. We all enjoy the, the outdoors. And, and we shouldn't get caught up so much in, in how someone chooses to spend their time in the outdoors. We should focus more on the fact that we all have the same passion of being in the outdoors and enjoying something that we're extremely lucky in today's time to get to do in hunting. And amen to that. As all of what I say is, as long as it's legal and you're doing it legal and ethically, I support you. Yeah, 100%. And it's not right. I mean, I may not choose to hunt certain ways, but that doesn't make it any more or less enjoyable for those that do. Exactly. Exactly. I, you know, whatever fashion or form you want to use, as long as it's legal, long as it's ethical, uh, and as long as it, it falls within the guidelines of whatever the laws are for the particular area you're at, you know, power to you. I'm, I'm I 100% support. agree. And I think it's important for us as hunters to get behind that and to make sure that that we don't lose sight because the the way these guys are coming after us now with uh, you know the the uh, uplisting of lions to where we can't bring those into the U.S. the elephant things we've got going on in Africa they're just picking on little pockets of the hunting community and if we don't unite 
we're going to end up being torn apart from the inside just like that. Just one little piece of our hunting heritage at a time is going to be taken away from us. Yeah, that's So I, I'm, I'm really passionate about that. Um, I, I want to get that word out to where as much as possible that, you know, it's important for us just to, to work on this together and to make sure that, that, that we protect, some, you know, this hunting. Uh, we protect it in every way possible. Exactly. Exactly. Well, that's fantastic. You know, I we've been going on here for darn near an hour, and uh, I can't wait to see your show. Uh, I really appreciate the time you gave me. Um, I don't even feel like I've scratched the surface of everything you've done. And I know as soon as we're done talking, I'm going to go, son of a gun. I meant to ask him about that. Got well, anytime I can get free publicity for the experience, I'm ready. Well, Jason, you so an open line here. Anytime you got something you got going on, you got an episode that's real special you want to talk about, you want to talk about your desert uh, bighorn, that's an amazing hunt. I, I, I'm envious. Um, yeah, I'm super lucky to get to do that. And once again, Chasing Catlin. Um, I was with him on his desert sheet this last January, and uh, very envious, and that stoked a fire in me to get mine done this January. Uh, but once again, you know, I'm seems to be one step behind Dan, and uh, we'll give so hopefully that. I can get that done this January. And uh, I've got some great, exciting hunts coming up, both Dan and I do. And, uh, you know, we're looking for some other guys to film this next year for episodes of The Experience. And we're super excited about the opportunities that we've got in front of us. Do you, uh, is, what's your website for the experience? Uh, we don't have one yet. Uh, we're in the process of de- developing that as we speak, actually. Uh, we were trying to make the first show and the website all kind of drop at the same time. Got it. Uh, and then, you know, you could go and find the links to all our uh, social media pages, Instagram, Facebook, and the YouTube page. So we're still at the, you know, at the step, at the start, or, or as Dan says, we're still crawling. <laughs> and uh, the longer we crawl, the greater our foundation is. And none of us are in a hurry to, to be an overnight sensation. We we want to make this thing grow and grow right, and um, and be a positive influence on hunting. Well, great. And you're going to be at the Dallas Safari Club show in January. Yes, sir. I'll be at Dallas and SCI both. Okay. Well, that's anybody that's listening that's going to be at those shows, make sure to go over to the Wildlife Gallery. I'm sure you'll find Jason over there wandering around as well. And uh, yeah, all your all your buddies, it, it, I just get excited thinking about going to that show. <laughs> it's a great show. It's, it's one of the best. It's, uh, you know, it's a really friendly, family-oriented show. It's gotten big, uh, but it's super cool. There's a lot of great outfitters there, a lot of great people in that organization. Um, you know, it's a volunteer-based organization, and what they pull off year in and year out is a testament, again, to that organization and the people that are involved. I think what you should do on your show is it should be The Experience and then subtitle Chasing Catlin. Yeah, yeah. And uh, every time you bag something, you should say something. Dan, I'm... Yeah, but the problem is, is Dan's a part of the experience. <laughs> so I can't even get ahead of him on that anymore. No, he's he's going to... You, you're going to have to maybe... Uh, <laughs> forget to show some of his hunts yeah that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna pull tags and make sure that when he gets there you know he doesn't have the opportunity to hunt the animals he has to come back home and then you know i swoop in and hunt them well i appreciate the time in the show notes we're gonna have everything uh from the wildlife gallery to, to wade renfro to the african outfitters to the gofundme pages uh we'll have it all listed down and uh jason can they contact you through your uh facebook page yeah on uh, facebook we have is the experience on instagram it's the experience underscore tv uh i have a personal page also under my name m jason price uh you can direct message us on instagram you can send us a, a private message on uh, facebook uh you can even just send a regular message on one of the comments of the of the pictures and, and we'll be happy to engage but uh that's a that's a great media it's a great format for us to to make sure that we're doing the hunts and uh and going to the places that people are interested in. Now, if somebody draws an interesting tag, do you want to hear from them? Absolutely. That's one of the cool things about what we're doing. There's some really cool tags here in in the U.S. Uh, There's some hard-to-get mule deer, elk, uh, bighorn tags, youth hunters, a kid that draws something that's just a phenomenal hunt. You know, we would love to hear from you guys and and hopefully have an opportunity to film one of you for um, an episode of The Experience. Uh, Well, fantastic. Well, Jason, I can't thank you enough for your time. I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. We're going to see how this Chasing Catlin goes on. <laughs> and uh, 
we're going to get this all set. I look forward to hearing, you know, we're, we're going to talk one day, I hope, in depth about that, that moose and the whole situation around Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I would love to do that. Uh, I really want to hear about some of these, that, that desert bighorn. That's, uh, I really want to hear about that. So you have a good luck on all those trips, and uh, I look forward to seeing you up in uh, Dallas in January. That's great. I look forward to it, too. And also, thank you, Jason, for allowing me to be on the show. It was a, it was a great pleasure. Oh, the pleasure's all on this side of the table. And uh, you have a great day, and, and we'll talk to you soon. You too. Thanks a lot. Thank you. It happens every year. I start feeling kind of weird when the leaves start falling to the ground. I lie in bed at night hearing birds in flight. It's an unbelievable sound. The weather's getting cold. The kids are back in school. I should be buying them brand new coats. But I spent my next check on a case of shells and a bunch of calls, don't you know? I got the fever, duck fever. I got my mind on ducks and the ducks are on my mind. I got the fever, duck fever. I'm seeing camouflage. I got the fever. All right. I've been working on my blind. It's really looking fine. Can't wait for opening day. Snow up north and I know for sure Green heads are on their way I got a brand new boat and she's ready to go But we're still a month away I just can't stop thinking about the ducks We'll be killing if you ask my wife She'll say I got the fever Duck fever I got my mind on ducks And the ducks are on my mind I got the fever Ducks are on my mind.